My name is Anna, and I'm a member here at McLean. This morning, we begin our series, This Matters, Why We Care About What We Do. Our scripture reading is from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 10. You can find this on page 874 in the Bible in the pew rack in front of you. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Well, welcome to all of you again, whether you are here in the sanctuary, whether you are watching on the live stream, or you are in the fellowship hall Welcome. This year marks the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. That was a revival that began in Germany and spread across Europe. Prior to that, the church had become confused in its teaching, had become corrupt in its leadership, and it rediscovered the gospel of grace, and the whole world was changed forever. We are marking that event at MPC by doing a sermon series called This Matters. Love by God in the gospel of grace. What difference will that make to MPC today? So over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at a few of the priorities in our church in the way that the gospel of grace should change us and should impact us. Beginning today, we have one of our German church planners, Stefan Poos. It seemed appropriate to have a German church planner speak for the Reformation to kick off our series. And so we're grateful to have you with us here this morning. He'll be sharing reflections on the Reformation heritage and in the spirit of the Reformation, reflect on what Christ's church should be like today. He'll also be here for lunch following this service in the McLean room, and so any of you are invited to join them to hear more about that church planning work in Germany. Let me pray for Stefan before he opens God's word with us. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you are a God who entered into our world, who sent his son to seek and to save the lost. So Father, give Stefan that freedom of the gospel to preach the beauty of that message in our time together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much for the invitation to preach here, and thank you very much not only for that, but thank you very much for a faithful partnership and friendship that your church has with church planters in Germany, not only me, but others that have been here before. And thank you very much. That means a lot to us. Thank you very much. And if you don't know much about it, 
you're part of a church that is heavily helping church planters in Germany to plant new churches. And if you want to know more about it, ask Carl. He is the champion of the Deutschland project. So please reach out to him or us. Um, yeah, the Tuesday in a week, the October 31st, is going to be Reformation's Day, not only Halloween, but Reformation's Day, and it's going to be 500 years. So on October 31st, in 1517, Martin Luther knocked the 95 Theses on a door in Wittenberg at the church, and that is the moment mostly referred to as which has caused the Reformation, which is something that we celebrate in Germany. Actually, the German government has agreed to create a, holiday, a national holiday out of that. So every Every German is out of work for one more day this year because of Martin Luther de- de knocking a pa- piece of paper on a door. So we have that this year celebrating that history. It had a huge impact on our country, on our churches, and probably on our world today. The, der- the church is shaped by it today, and the world is shaped by it. So many things go and refer back to this development there back 500 years ago. And it's an amazing history that we celebrate. A lot of people come to Germany and, and, and go to the sides and look at it. And it is, I think, something that is so remarkable because the change that the Reformation is standing for and that we remember um, was back in that time a need, that, uh, a need for change. So... He did a reform. He needed to reform some things, to make them new, to um, knock some doors, and to make some real changes in the way people thought about themselves, about the world, and especially about God. And this is great history in Germany. The challenge today is that 500 years we're just looking back, and it is a great question: What might Martin Luther say if he would come today? And what would be his words that he would say? Would there be something that he would want to be reformed, to reawaken, to be rediscovered? And I think that if he would come to the country of Germany today, he would have a lot to say. I don't know if 95 theses would be enough for him to express what he would want to say. And I think the church today is in great need of a new Reformation, 2017. How would that look like? What, might, what would he say? And one of the theses that he might knock at a door is what I'm trying to teach about today. And it is a thing that I think, and I th- what Martin Luther in his time expressed, and I want to re-express today, as something that needs reformation for the church and for people of today who live in the cities of the world. And this is something that another um, great German theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, has put into words when he said, quote, Church is not only church if it is church for the others. Church is, is only church if it is church for the others. And this is my topic today, church for the others. And this is a thing I think Martin Luther said and spoke into his time and that we need to hear again today, which is clearly coming from this text that was just read and I'm going to preach about. And I try to challenge myself and us to this morning to think about Reformation, not only in Germany, but maybe even in Washington, hopefully in myself. And this is 
Church is only church if it is church for the others. And this text has three points to it. It is first, the practice of a church for others. It is second, a vision behind that practice, a vision of a church for others. And it's third, the heart of a church for others. Let's go. Point one, the practice of a church for others. And you look at that text in the first verses it says about Jesus now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawn near to him so in this verse it is the description of the practice of Jesus the son of God when he lived how did he live out his life every day he lived it out in a way that all people who would be tall collectors and sinners were drawn near to him and I like that verse because it is so very much uh, an ancient description of what Frankfurt is. So Frankfurt is a financial place, and that's what tall collectors were. They were the bankers of the ancient times. And this is what drives Frankfurt a lot. And sinners. This is a description of people who would not consider themselves believers, people who go to church. And these people were always around Jesus. This is what this verse says. It is a verse, it's an introduction verse to these beautiful parables that are known in the Christian world. And we often skip those introduction verses. But if you look close here, it is very important. He was, another translation puts it this way. It says, he was always with the tall collectors and so-called sinners. If that is true, which I believe, then his practice, his everyday practice was that he was always with focusing intentionally on being with these people. So my picture, when I, I grew up in church of Jesus, the, the years that he spent living on this planet, was that he walked around with his disciples, having some campfires, hanging around, and, you know, talking about the kingdom of God. And they were, had a great fellowship in there. But if that is true, what, 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 if this, what this verse says is that he was not always around his people that already were believers, He was always with those who were the most far away from being believers. And it doesn't matter if they would be considered by themselves or by others that way. And this group is a very diverse group. In that group, there would be rich people and poor people, people from all nationalities, men and women, and, and all kinds of people from society. But they would all be united by one factor, and that's they would not call themselves believers. They would, today you would say, they're not going to church. And this is the group that Jesus was always with. So if he would travel Israel back in that time, and he would come back to a village that he already visited, guess who were the people who would be running to him and asking him to be in, in their house? It was not the religious people. It would not be the church people. It would be the people who would be considered most far away from that. And they would go to Jesus and say, hey, come to my house tonight. I'm going to throw a big party and invite all my people. And he would say, this is exactly what I'm going to do tonight. So this is his practice. The Son of God, Jesus, was a Jesus for others. He didn't stay amongst himself. He didn't stay with the Father and the Son. He came to this world and he always reached out as far as he could to those who would not consider themselves believers. That's what he was with. And he was always in that company because, and that's what it said here, 
they liked it. So it was not, he was, went there and they didn't like it, but he, they really enjoyed it. So he was with them in a way that they really liked. They wanted to be with him. So let's for a moment compare that to the practice of the church today. At least I can compare it to the practice of the church in Germany. Church in Germany very often means that Christians are doing Christian things in a Christian way with other Christians about Christianity in church. And this is something that you can feel on the inside because it's kind of weird. And it is something that church is often blamed for from the outside. So if you're today a person that is not going to church very often and you think, well, I have that doubt about church. It's just all about Christians doing Christian stuff in their way and they don't want anybody else to be there. I would say, well, in Germany that's probably often the fact. But there's the good news. The original designer of church was not that way and he didn't want his church to be that way. He actually it was a Jesus for others. And he wanted his church to be a church for others. He didn't want it to be inward focused. He wanted it to be outward focused. And that is... That actually was a message that Martin Luther spoke into his time. Quote, he said, The kingdom, that's the church, so the church is to be in the midst of your enemies. So that he meant on the outside. And he who will not suffer this does not want to be of the kingdom of Christ. He wants to be among friends, to sit amongst the roses and lilies, not with the bad people, but with the devout ones. And now there's a love, a love Luther quotes. Oh, you blasphemers and betrayers of Christ. If Christ had done what you are doing, who would ever have been spared? I like that. Because he is so straight out. And it's a little provocative. Not just a little. And I think we need that. To listen to that. We need to listen what he says. If Christ had done what you are doing, who would ever have been spared? Christ didn't act like that. He didn't stay amongst himself. He came into this world. He incarnated. He really knew the people well that would be very far from God. He didn't come as the God of this world and said, all the people already close to me, come join me and I will hang out with you. He said, okay, I will not hang out with these guys. I will hang out with those who are far away from me. And listen to what verse 2 says. It says that those who considered themselves believers got angry about him. Why? They didn't like it. So it's maybe a good sign if you're a believer, if some other people who would call themselves believers sometimes say, you go too far in connecting outwards. So this is Jesus for others. And he calls his church then to say, and he said, like my father has sent me, I send you. And this will then be a church for others. Let's do that very practically. My, I'm personally a pastor, a church planner. I'm a professional Christian. So my job is to work in church. And that's actually a challenge because I could set my work up in a way that I would have appointings with a Christian and another Christian, another Christian, another Christian, and so on. But that would totally not be that what Jesus is doing here and what he's teaching. 
my time, I have to be very intentional about it, has to be more with those who are not inside my church. It cannot be that we set up church in a way that it's just Christians meaning Christian things and only we only listen to Christian music, only read Christian books, only like go to Christian schools and go on Christian vacation and be buried in Christian cemeteries. It's, I mean, some things are good, yes, but this is not how God, Jesus invented the church. He didn't say to his disciples at the end, make sure that yeah, you, I created this great fellowship and make sure that you stay together, always. Don't, don't leave. Yeah? If anybody knocks on your door, okay, let them in. But stay together. Keep that grateful. No, he said, go into the world. And like my father sent me, I have sent you. This is a little bit like the first car I had. So my dad gave me an old red Ford Fiesta. So the really very small Ford. It was 20 years old. And he probably gave it to me because he knew that I would run it against the Mercedes and crash it, which I did, and um, it killed it. And uh, so this car had a problem. When I, when, when I would drive down the Autobahn in Germany, pushing it to its limit, and I would like not have the wheel really tight, it would always pull in one direction. So it was, the, the line was not straight. So I always had to like actively act against that tendency that was in the car. And this is my picture for what, we ha what I have to do to myself and to my church. We always have to push against that tendency that we just hang around these brothers and sisters because it's so nice and hugging and warm in here. We always have to push against that and say, no, Jesus was Jesus for others, and that's why we need to be a church for others. And this is, I think, a call for reforming, for revival today. Luther called that into his time, and Jesus called that into his time. And I think we need to listen to that again today because I think we need to be more like that. At least in Germany, what people from outside the church are saying about the church, they don't experience it that way. They experience that church is just all about that. And it's far away from my reality. And they like each other pretty much, and they stay in there. I think, wouldn't it be great if 2017 would be a year or that the, the age that we live in would be a time that one day would we refer back to as a time when the church stopped doing that. And the church discovered this idea again and went out. It became a church for others again. I think that would change the world again. It would be a reformation. Church has to be church for the others. But why did Jesus live like that? Why did he do that? Point two. Because he had a vision. He had a mindset. And he reveals that in those parables. So if you go to verses 3 to 10, he talks about two, he gives two parables. And parables are stories that Jesus makes up. They never really happened. He makes them up and talk and, and, and gives them. And he wants to make a point with them. So he has two parables that are par parallel here. And one is about lost sheep and one is about lost coins. And the two stories that Jesus made up are pretty much the same. And they explain his vision. And they are equal in someone has some things 
one of them gets lost, he leaves everything behind to go and search and rescue it, and then he goes. He has an outward action, and then he focuses totally on the finding of the lost. It's interesting here. The introduction verse, uh, what Jesus says, the introduction words is, he says, pretending one of you, and he's talking to the religious people. So he says, you should know that. You're believers. You you should act like that. So he's uh, addressing the church, and he says, "Um, you guys should know that, that you should be an outward-focused church. Why? Because he says, my vision is, if something is lost, I need to fully concentrate on the finding and saving of it. So the result is a very proactive and focused and intentional intentional action to go and search and seek and find and save. This is his vision. This is why he came for. So imagine before Jesus came to this earth, maybe he had a talk with the father and he gave him a job description of what he should do. The job description of Jesus was, he said it once in Luke 19, the son of man has come to seek and find what is lost. This is what he came for. He didn't come to hang out with those who already were his. He came to go and have a vision for those who are far, far, far away from him. And he incarnated into this world and at the end he said how my father has sent me I'm sending you and it is interesting here how the numbers go right Jesus makes this up and he he puts 99 sheep compared in, in the barn compared to one that is lost and everyone who would talk to a farmer like that would say well you still got 99 that's pretty important I mean you should care for them right and it's just one okay yeah you should first like water and feed them and maybe then you have time to no he makes it up in such a ridiculous way that he wants to communicate one thing if there's only one lost it's still worth leaving all these others behind and fully concentrating on them there's a priority going on here he says the kingdom of god that's the church has to be like that has to be concentrated. The reality of Frankfurt is that we have the numbers turned around. So we may have like 0.1% sheep in the barn and 99 people don't care about the Christian faith anymore. And it's even more so. And it's even more ridiculous that the churches are just absorbed among themselves. And I think there is a call for revival needed. How do we do that practically? So at the church that I've planted, and that's a nice thing when you plant a church, you can just do it the way you want to. So you can set it up how you envision it. There's nothing to start from. And the 12 people and me who started this church, we said this is something we really want to put deep into the DNA. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer's quote is still the one quote at our website if you go to it. And we want to be a church that is really about that. So we call ourselves, we want to be a thin church, not a fat church. We want to be a church that is programs and um, time and energy that we put into things that are just about us are not that heavily much 
so that we still have a lot of time, much more time available to just reach out, to have normal conversations with normal people and to just intentionally make friends with people who are non-believers. That means for me that I take time to go to that one burger place that I took call to one time intentionally because I know the guy who is behind the, is a good friend of mine and he is what not consider himself a believer. I need to spend time there. I need to invest into that. I need to go there. So that, that shepherd here, he didn't, didn't just you know, walk outside of his fence and said, well, lost sheep, I would like you to come back and you're welcome back. Yeah. He really intentionally went and it took him a lot. And it is not enough for church if it only does some programs for people. It has to be me. It has to be you to be involved into that. It has to be not only a church for others, it has to be you and me for others, intentionally. One example is on uh, October 31st, or the Reformation Day, we're going to throw a Reformation party. And we thought, what would Martin Luther like on to, for us to do on that day? So we have a day off, so it's not enough time, and we would love to use that to invite people. And we had a discussion about it at our church office. And one guy said, well, let's throw like a memorial service for Luther. Let's preach about some verses that he liked and remember him. And, and I said, yeah, and we're going to invite all our Christian friends to it and they will come. And that's it. And I thought, no, this is not what Luther would have liked. So what we do now is we do go to that restaurant that my friend owns And we were going to have an evening with a lot of good food and drinks, because this is what Martin Luther liked. So if you know a little bit about him, he loved that. And we have a meal, and we have some quotes from Luther, and we will remember a little bit of him. And, uh, but we will invite our non-Christian friends to that. And probably more, I hope that the majority of the people who will be at that party will be people who are far, far away from what Martin Luther believed. But they need it. So we need to be intentional about that. And very often we're too fast drawn to do it in the way that we used to do it. And that is Christian things about Christianity in a Christian way, about with Christians in a Christian home, blah, blah, blah. There's a problem if we do that. It's so nice, but it is not right. And Jesus wanted us to be like him. And that was, he was all about a shepherd who went for the one that was lost. So how do we become like that? How do we reform? How do we change into that? Point three, the heart of a church for the others. Both parables end in the same way. So they both have this narrative of somebody leaves and goes and seeks and finds and brings back And both parables end with this big party, this joy. To be honest, um, I could have imagined that shepherd that night. You know, he had a stressful day, maybe had some scratches on his face. You know, his clothes are all dirty because of that silly sheep that ran away again. And he, like a colleague, like prepares him a meal and he talks to him and says... How was your day? And he said, you know, again, that sheep got lost. And yeah, man, I don't need a day like that again. But this is not, I could have understood that. Yeah? 
But that is not the way Jesus makes this up. This shepherd is not angry or exhausted. He is joyful. He rejoices. He throws the biggest party possible. So the point that Jesus is trying to make here, it is joy behind all of that. It's not discipline. It's not, let's get better people now. And let's be like Jesus. And I do the thing that a preacher should do and yell at you and say, this is how Christians should live, and now you please do it. What is so hard? No, this is not the way, this, the point here. The point is what Jesus makes is, what makes the church or people who are believers act like that is joy. It is the party at the end that makes that happen. The joy of something lost is found has an outside effect. That is what Houston fans experienced yesterday, right? They rejoiced, and it had an outside effect. They probably called their moms or their friends and texted somewhere, and it, 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 it gets out to other people if you rejoice over anything. A joy that doesn't only stay inside, but it makes the shepherd and the woman go to tell everyone. And that is the heart of this text. With this parable, Jesus is telling the church to be a church for others, but not because of guilt. It is only if we see that we are part of the parable. And let's not picture ourselves as the shepherd. This parable is told in a way that we should picture ourselves as the sheep. As those, like in the great song, were once lost, but now we're found. And that's amazing grace that we experience. So it is, if you understand and rejoice in that Jesus became the shepherd for you, and he did everything to find you, and you were lost, and now you were found. He did everything. And we Germans have an example that really helps us to understand that. In 2014, um, the German national soccer team, and Germany is all about soccer, so we don't play those interesting games that you Americans play. We play soccer. And uh, this is, so in 2014, the German national team went to Brazil, another country that is big about soccer, and we play, they played. They played the national championship. And they played pretty well. And they stay, played instead of us, so on, on our behalf, they, they played under the flag of Germany, and they won at the end. So every German today considers himself as world champion in soccer. So you have one here. <laughs> we are world champions of soccer. I feel that way because somebody else has played a game on my behalf. They had put sweat and tears and training and all of that and played games, played one game, and there was victory at the end. They came home and said, we have played for you, and now we have won, and you, we are all world champions. And this is the same what Jesus did somehow. He didn't only play. It was a pretty real thing on the cross. And he had victory at the end. And he didn't only sweat for it. He bleeded and gave his life. And he lived the life we should have lived, and he died the death we should have died, to save lost sheep 
and bring them home and not only make them champions, but make them children of God. And if you experience that, it will have a joy that, have, that will have an outward effect. If you really get what that is, this is what Martin Luther experienced when he got the gospel, when he once read Romans 3 and found it. It so very much made click in his heart that he rejoiced and told everyone that he found grace. And it had an immense outside effect to his friends, to his city, to his country, and to the whole world. So that's driven by joy. And Martin Luther quoted, the true treasure of the church is the holy gospel of the wonderful grace of God. This is where it's coming from, and this is what this text's heart is. And I think we need to rediscover that. My daughter Maya once had a moment where she figured that out the difference between just understanding something and experiencing it. So she likes to go to the zoo. And when she was about two and a half years old, we went to the zoo in Frankfurt, and they have, she, she always wanted to look at the tiger's cage. So she loved those cats. Um, and the tiger cage in Frankfurt is set up not in a traditional way, you know, with these um, sticks there, and there's just a cage, old-fashioned, but like very modern. You have a big window of glass, and then you have that, like, nice area where the tiger lives in. And she was looking, where is he? And it took a few minutes, and he was not there. So she was kind of, yeah, where is he? And so she turned around to me and talked to me. And in that time, the tiger sneaked like from the side and like was right there at the window. And she turned around, two years old, and looked the eye, tiger right in the eye. So they were like that close. And he focused her, like, for a few seconds. And she was, like, <laughs> frozen. <laughs> and then it took, like, 30 seconds of silence, and they started to cry. The tiger went away, and she yelled. And she was, yeah. The point here is, for as a child, she was not able to, in that moment, realize that there still is that glass, because she's a child. Every adult person would, well, there's a glass. I don't have the emotion. But she had the real, full experience of the majesty of a tiger that we would have if we would face a tiger like that in the jungle. And it would cause us to run, to hopefully run. So he, she got the full majesty of the tiger. And I think that is something that we need to experience with the gospel. Too often, as churches, we look at the gospel only inside the cage only as if it is the thing that we like, cognitively go through every Sunday or whenever we read it. But we don't take the tiger where it belongs. It's out in the jungle, and it can do things that are marvelous. It can actually save people, and it can actually change our city around. The gospel can do, that's, that's the statement of your church. Grace changes everything. As Christians, we do believe that the gospel can save you for eternity, but it can do much more. It is the answer to every question of life. It can change your marriage. It can change your fi- it can, the way you handle finances, the way you handle your, yourself. It, can, it is the answer to everything, and it is the power of God changing the world. It's what Paul once said. I'm not afraid of the gospel because it is the power of God. It's what Luther said. It's the treasure of the church. 
and it is able to change the whole world. But we are not supposed to leave it in the cage. We're supposed to release it to where it belongs, and that's out there. And I think that is a call to revival, to reformation, to revive us, to reform us, to go back to those beautiful truths and to become again people for the others and a church for the others. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you very much for not staying where you were, but coming, leaving those that you were with, the God and the Father and the Holy Spirit behind, and coming to this world, becoming the shepherd who was all about finding us, the lost sheep. And thank you for saving us and, and giving us that experience of ama amazing grace and joy so that we will be transformed into people that are not self-absorbed anymore, but they can look out and please make that gospel real for us that we as persons and we as a church are for the others because of your great gospel. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.